Welcome to Bang the Table Talks, a podcast that discusses the evolving world of community engagement. Explore and learn with us as we host conversations with leaders in community engagement, stakeholder consultation, and public participation. We'll discuss current trends, best practices, as well as tips, tools, and ideas for better engagement programs. This podcast is a little different in design than others I've done for Bang the Table. Rather than connecting with a client online for a discussion, I'm here with Sandrine Thibault of TPUDC, Town Planning and Urban Design Collaborative. We're at the National Planning Conference in San Francisco, awaiting our joint presentation today where David White, the Economic and Development Director of Burlington, Vermont, will be joining us. Among other things, we'll be talking about the Ten Commandments and Golden Rule for Online Engagement, which we're going to dive into a bit today with you. Sandrine, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Sandrine Tibas. Amanda mentioned I uh, am now the Director of Municipal Services for Town Planning and Urban Design Collaborative. So I've been with the firm for about four years, but prior to that, I've actually worked in the public sector for a very long time, uh, most of my career, actually. So I worked for the City of Burlington in Vermont uh, for almost eight years. I worked for, let's see, the State of New Hampshire, a Regional Planning Commission in New Hampshire. I mean, and then, you know, I'm going to date myself, so I'll stop there. But, but so my background is really in public sector planning. And just a fun tidbit, I'm actually from Canada and I'm French Canadian. Nice. And you live where now? And I live in Ottawa, Canada now. So I just recently moved there from Montreal. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I'm Amanda Nagel. I'm the U.S. practice lead for Bang the Table. My husband asked me recently if anybody outside of Bang the Table knew what that meant. So I'm going to assume... <laughs> that nobody does. So what uh, we mean by practice lead is that I really get to spend a lot of my time helping local governments try to build and grow their community engagement framework and practice, but really interested in building a comprehensive program for local government. And like yourself, my background's heavy in local government as well. Sandrine, what drove you to this work? Nothing. Funny enough, I actually stumbled into planning. Uh, I remember being in what we call college in Quebec because the, the school system is a little different, but it's a two years that you do before you go to university, you know, and you have to kind of pick a career. And I remember sitting at home with university books, basically looking at various programs. And I mean, I got admitted and uh, accepted, I should say, in programs like psychology and education and communication. And I had picked planning. I'm glad I did. <laughs> That's awesome. So that's how I sort of stumbled upon planning. Stumbled into instead yeah. of ran into. Exactly. Uh, what excites you about the field today? So I think about what I do now as a private consulting firm working all over the country with various mm-hmm. communities. Um, uh, for me, it's always been the sort of the human contact. So it's always been talking to people in the community and hearing what they hope for the future of their, you know, of where they live and where their kids are growing up and where they work. So I would say that's, that's really the most exciting part of planning for me. And it's helping change communities so that we improve the quality of life of everyone on a daily basis as much as possible. Awesome. I think that that's a great stage to sort of start this. One of the things that I enjoy most that you do is what you call Planapalooza. Can you tell us more about that? <laughs> so it's actually a trademark, a trademark term uh, that we at TPDC have come up with years ago. Uh, it's really an augmented design charrette. 
So a lot of firms, you know, now do design charrettes for, for various projects where it's kind of an intensive several days long event where we engage the community. We have our entire team there, but our Planet Palooza adds this uh, wonderful element of fun and more creativity to that particular process. One of our mantras is that it has to be fun. If not, people will never come back and do it again. So that's what our, our Planapalooza process is sort of all about. Is <laughs> just adding this, this extra element of, of making it super fun for community members when they come and meet with us and talk and participate. That's great. I love that you guys are so well grounded in that boots on the ground, personal interaction. Seems like you really build a community when you guys are working with a client, with mm -hmm. an organization, and you get to know them. Yeah. I yeah, can really, absolutely. but I, you know, and I think as you and I talked about as much as in-person events and meetings and, um, you know, Planapalooza or whatever you might be doing are important. We also know that these days, 50% of adults will never attend a meeting right. um, because we're all busy. We all have busy lives. I mean, I'm the first one to never do anything in my own community because I don't have the time to. So I think engaging people online and finding them in that online space is also key to the success of most of our projects. It's like you've taken the Planapalooza concepts and you've transferred it into the online space. Yeah, as much as possible. It's hard to make it super fun sure. online because you don't have that, that human interaction, mm -hmm. but definitely we have to do that. Awesome. Well, what we're going to dive into in our presentation and now in this conversation is really the, the 10 commandments. So what makes the online space as good as it can be or as close to that in-person experience as possible? Yeah. So uh, shall we read through the 10 commandments first and then dive into them one by one? Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. I'm going to let you do that. Okay. okay. Sounds good. So number one, use the right tools. Number two, use social media wisely. Number three, use language everyone can understand. Four, provide options for visual feedback. Five, measure everything. Six, remember the mirror effect. And we're going to keep that secret until we get there. <laughs> you guys can wonder what is the mirror effect. Uh, number seven is work in bite-sized chunks. Number eight, use mapping tools for spatial sake. Number nine, phase the project in meaningful ways. And number 10, close the feedback loop. And I promise if you hang on for the whole podcast, we'll have a surprise at the end. We will? We will. We're going to have a golden rule. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> so number one, use the right tools. You know, this seems really obvious, but it's oftentimes missed, right? Um, you have a lot of selection anymore about which tools you use in the online space. Um, for those that do phase projects, you know, which tool to use at which phase, which tools best suited to reach a particular population. As we all really strive to bring in hard to reach populations, are there tools and are there applications of tools that make that easier? So I think the answer to all of that is yes. Right. Absolutely. And trying to sort of juggle and prioritize what's the most important decision factor at any given point. Is it the target? Is it ease of use? I like to emphasize the S on the end of use the right tools because very rarely is one tool going to be a, a super tool and do everything you need for it to do. Um, so it really is about a combination. As much as possible, I think you want to use both quantitative and qualitative tools. 
uh, so that you're getting the, the easy to measure quantitative piece, but you're never really going behind the curtain to tally anymore. Mm -hmm. There's really no reason to do that. Uh, currently, you really are able to let people have a very open dialogue so they can see what one another is thinking and feeling while you're collecting that easy to measure data. Um, and we'll talk more about some of those elements. But um, in choosing the tools, one of the things that you wanna think about is how long do people have to participate in order to uh, really interact with the tool? So is there a lot of reading involved? If so, does that really lend itself to a particular population, one versus the other? Is it something that they can kind of go in and out quickly? And if so, maybe that's going to attract more your millennial population, folks that are simply a bit busier, you know, even those of parenting age and, you know, really uh, lots of dem demographics other than just age, but that's one that's pretty easy to kind of comprehend for folks. So how much time do people have to linger? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I, I agree that that's super important. And, you know, I think having you guys is wonderful because we lean on you to help us out with figuring out some of those tools to use in the right moment and in the process as well. Awesome. It's some of the stuff that we love to do. So that works out beautifully. <laughs> you know, number two, so use social media wisely, you know, thinking through how do you use social media? Sandrine, what's been some success for you? I think we found that when we uh, work on a project and, and I've used social media to do some outreach for, you know, my gosh, I mean, probably over 10 years now, um, when we were just starting to do that in the planning world, you know, and I think as much as sort of paper posters and postcards are important, uh, social media is as well. We, for, for us, social media is most effective only for the outreach portion, not so much for the engagement portion. Uh, with the public. So we use social media, Facebook, you know, Twitter, whatever you name it, uh, to push information out, to let people know what's going on. So to mm -hmm. make people aware of the project for once, to let them know uh, what events are coming up, to let them know where they can actually get engaged in meaningfully engaged in the online space and so redirecting sure. them to websites, platforms we use. And so, because if you start using social media to engage folks, it is so difficult to keep track of that mm -hmm. and to also sort of register and record the information that you're gathering on social media. It's a tremendous amount of work. And I don't know that any of us uh, planners would have the time to do that. You know, that's a really good point. When we talk about all these things in the planning concept, you know, what percentage of any planner's job is community engagement? I mean, I'm going to guess 25 or less, right? Maybe. I, well, I think it depends on what you do. You know, if yeah. I think back of my um, position, when I worked in for the city of Burlington, Vermont, I was comprehensive planner there. So I did long range planning mm -hmm. day in and day out. That was sort of my daily responsibilities. And so, I mean, outreach and engagement was a huge part, huge of, part. of my, I was sort of the person in the city to do that. So I would say it was more like 50% probably. 50%. Yeah. yeah. But I think it really depends on um, the role of each planner and what you what you do for work, right? There's so for many, sure. you know, various sort of careers within the planning profession. Sure. And it seems like some people who are really naturally good at community engagement kind of become that internal trainer, mentor, champion. Yes. Too. That's what I've seen as yeah. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, number three, use language everyone can understand. I think that we all know, 
us planners out there that we use jargon so much, so, so, so much. And so, you know, that's a really easy one. Just use language that you would use to talk to your mom, to your sister, to your kids at home about planning. Don't use terminology that people are going to scratch their heads and sort of wonder what the heck are you talking about? And that makes you much more relatable as well as a planner, as you're trying to reach various stakeholders of various groups in the community that you're working in or with. Mm -hmm. So that's super important. And, and I mean, in terms of using the right language in certain of our projects, we've had projects in communities where, you know, it was 60% Hispanic population. So we also not only not using jargon in English, but we also had to make sure that we translated a lot of the information that we put in the online space so that we weren't limiting the potential and the possibility of people using our online platform, but really we were reaching everyone if everyone was willing to, to you know, participate that way. So we've, especially in, for example, Borchester, New York, we have a project there now and we translated, you know, most of our website. I mean, each page has been translated into Spanish. That's great. You know, it's really important, I think, for consultants and the organization to get clear on what you want for language accessibility. You know, when you go looking for those tools, know in mind what you want to do with it mm -hmm. so that then you make sure that the tool can be made as accessible as you need for it to be. Yeah. You know, because Fort Chester's a great example. You guys translated there. Other locations, you may not, you may choose to not fully translate but you may encourage people to use like a browser tool or something yes, like that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we, we thought about that, but yeah. it was, we wanted to make sure it was a full blown, like very well done translation. So, you know, we used someone on our team who is that's great. Uh, from Argentina. So, Oh, that's great. Oh, and Spanish speaker. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, number four, provide options for visual feedback. What I love about a platform that allows us to use a whole variety of tools mm -hmm. is that you can play with that a little bit. But often in the planning world, uh, you know, people talk about, oh yeah, we sh you know, our downtown should be more walkable and should be more mixed use, or, you know, we should have taller buildings, or, but it, they're saying that in a very general sense, and what is walkable and mixed use and, you know, the height of building is all relative, and it can be very different for me than it is for you. So having the potential and the possibility to ask people to also provide visual information. Mm -hmm. So if they're describing something that they would like to see in their community, to be for them to be able to attach with an image, to really give us a sense, oh, this is exactly what they're, they're talking about. Or for us as the team, you know, or for local staff to provide images to gauge people's reaction to that you know we often do in person what we call visual preference surveys mm -hmm. of various types of architecture or various types you know buildings of various heights or whatever it might be so to have the capability to do that online as well is um is very useful because that that is often very telling and sure. it helps people sort of I mean, uh, you know an image is worth a thousand words right it, it always is so i think having the that that opportunity online is is key also for any projects. It's almost like you move more away from the thinking to the feeling, right? Yeah. When you share an image, people are trying to express how they felt in a place. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, a lot, yeah. and something else we've done along those lines too, often that we do often for projects is that we integrate art 
uh, in that. You know, we've had our contests um, happening in conjunction with other public engagement, and that one that um, helps us reach um, younger generations. Mm -hmm. So getting kids' imagination to draw, you know, what they imagine for the future, and they come up with really cool stuff, but yeah. it's just really un wonderful to see. And we've had adults participate in things like that as mm -hmm. well, and often there's a there's a photography portion of that. You know, what do you love? Take a photo of what you love about your community and tell yeah. us why it is that you love it. And, and then, you know, drawing, like just, Think about it, and some people communicate better. Uh, sure, actually drawing something and trying to describe it with words. Um, so that's another way that we've used um, sort of visual um, options and art to to help us. It's great. It's almost back to the number one commandment, right? Uh, choose the right tools. Yes. So not only quantifiable and qualitative, but almost left brain, right brain. Yeah. Right. Make sure there's something for everybody in the community to be able to give you input. Mm -hmm. Measure everything. So this is one of my favorites, I must say. Um, I That's think the geek in you. It is the <laughs> geek in me. Um, you know, in my local government career, there were a few things that you kind of look back and you're like, wow, it was so challenging. Why was life that hard, right? Doing reporting at the end of a project is one of those things. And anything that can be done in modern era to make it easier than it used to be, in my opinion, is something worth doing. For us, we measure everything as aware, informed, and engaged in the online space. So what that means is that aware numbers are the people who visit a site. So really, uh, that's going to be driven by your marketing and communications plans. Uh, informed means that people went to the site and actually did something to learn more about the project. That might be that they clicked on a PDF, that might be they watched a video, they looked at an infographic, uh, whatever they did, you can reasonably assume they know more than they did before. And obviously, there's some really creative ways to kind of force that information mm -hmm. uh, as people navigate through the online space. And then engage is the people that give you feedback. And so we, I work really close with our clients to try and set goals around those three things and then hopefully to meet and exceed those goals. And oftentimes we're asked, well, where do you even start? You know, what does it look like? Yeah. And our CEO, Matt, he always says, well, it's kind of like measuring a piece of string. How long is a piece of string? Well, who knows? So it's really hard to say where does a community start with a community engagement spectrum? And so what is a reasonable objective? If you're a very engaged community, obviously you start much higher. Yeah. But uh, what we say is 90, 90, and one. So for every 90 people you drive to the site, you can reasonably assume that nine are gonna become informed and one is gonna become engaged. Wow, that's actually very low of a sort of percentage of engaged folks. That's a little scary. It is a little scary. So what it means is that the numbers you have to drive to the site to get meaningful feedback are pretty high, Yeah, right? That's right. Wow. And you know, the other thing is if people are interested in your topic, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, then obviously your numbers are gonna be a little bit higher. It's mm -hmm. gonna be easier. You know, we like to say controversy breeds engagement too. You know, if people have a particular stake, there's been a lot of conversation, they're aware of it, they're more likely to engage. One of the most interesting aspects of that 90-91 to me is really in the middle. It's that information number. So for the people that learn more about the project, it's really easy to say, well, how many people gave you feedback? But oftentimes the silent majority can be pretty overwhelming from an analysis standpoint too. And why do you think is it is that people who are in the informed uh, category don't take the next step to actually engage 
have you guys ever ever sort of did sort of more research on that? It would be interesting to know. Is it just that by learning more about the project, they're content and they feel that they got what they needed? Or are they not interested in taking? I would be surprised. I mean, I'd be curious to, to know why they're not taking the next steps. They're already there in the online space. I think it's a great question. We have done a little bit of analysis. We always stop short making, you know, absolute from what people don't say, right? We always encourage that uh, organizations take that next dive, do another phase of engagement and see, check your assumptions. But we think most of the time when people are informed and they don't engage, they generally like the direction that things are going. Okay. You know, yes. that's typically what we're hearing. Mm -hmm. We see a lot smaller percentage when it's blue sky thinking. So we don't see as big of a drastic number between the nine and the one. When it's blue sky, people are kind of idea generating. Then we do when it gets close to solution decision. Okay. So at that point, you can kind of assume that if people don't find the need to speak up, they're probably pretty content, mm -hmm. right? But always worth a second ask to make good. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I mean, we often um, try or want to measure who are, who is using our online platforms, right? And it's it's interesting because it varies greatly from community to community from a, just a practical standpoint. You know, if I think back of my time in Burlington, we mm -hmm. did ask a very general demographic information for our online users, which was very helpful for us because we were able to figure out that we reached uh, sort of the young professional and the young families, you know, it was that younger uh, bracket of folks who were just too busy to come to meetings. I mean, often yeah. we all know it's the gray hair people, you know, gray hair people in the room that are sitting there that are retired that have the time to participate sure. in planning processes sure. often. But on the online space, we really saw this younger crowd who they, they thought it was a wonderful opportunity for them to get engaged, sitting on their couch at night once the kids are in bed, Yeah, you know, rather than having to come to meetings or, or not being able to get involved at all. Sure. Um, so for us, that's wonderful. But there is also, there is always a fine line with communities. Often they're a little bit afraid to ask information. They're afraid that it's going to deter people from participating right. in the online process. So do we keep people anonymous? Do we ask them for their you know, real information mm -hmm. or not? So that's always an interesting question that we struggle with with every project. Absolutely. And, you know, communities feel really strongly one way or the other, mm -hmm. or organizations feel really strongly one way or another. That's been my experience uh, with that question. You know, my recommendation is typically ask what you really need to know, ask what you're really going to use, but ask those questions that you really need to know as well. Yeah. You know, there's, there's pros and cons of being anonymous or stating your name in the online space and making sure people know who you are. We're all human, right? We're all going to be driven by we are who we are behind our name. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like giving people, people the ability to at least be anonymous to one another maybe allows for a bit more honesty and a bit less grandstanding yeah. or kind of presenting underneath the hat of who they are. But certainly there's pros and cons on every side and project specific. Yeah. And I've certainly seen that being anonymous also lets people feel as though they can be very critical of the process yeah. or frankly and honestly just get nasty sometimes. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, we know cyberbullying is a thing where I've seen it happen in a planning process on an online platform as well. For so there's sure. this fine line, I think, in making sure that people feel as though they have ownership of their comments and that they're the same way they would be in person talking For to sure. someone. For sure. 
for sure. And then you have to wonder sometimes if people are going to behave badly, they're probably going to behave badly no matter what we do. You know, like there's some point where true. it's it's you do the best you can for the majority. Yeah, absolutely. You know? No, that's true. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And so number six is, I think, my favorite. <laughs> and it's that mirror effect that Amanda uh, mentioned earlier. And for me, that has everything to do with, you know, when you have your sort of in-person process going with the community, right? You have... Uh, I don't know if it's your design charrette or if it's just sort of kickoff meetings to get the community to know what's going on with the project and keeping it very general. I always try to make sure that what I do in person with folks is duplicated online. Yeah. So that people who, I mean, yes, if people uh, get involved in person and online at the same time in the process, they might find it repetitive a little bit. But I really try to make sure that I'm gathering the same kind of information and asking the same questions at the same time in person and online. Mm -hmm. It just makes my life easier. I think as planners, you want to gather that information and you don't want to ask sure. completely different questions online and in person. You might be missing a segment of your population that doesn't get to weigh in on, sure. on one issue or the other if you're not in the parallel track yeah. with the online and the in-person space. So that's what we that's what we talk about with the mirror effect. And I think a good example of that for you know, for example, when we do our Planapalooza, um, <laughs> and we're uh, we this is often when we get kind of more specific in planning and we start sure. asking people to identify specific locations that they believe, you know, need improvement or there's a great opportunity to do something there. And so we get much more specific in that. We often do sort of a map exercise, yeah. you know, with the sort of in-person workshop. So that's a great time to use a map-based tool mm -hmm. online, asking people to do the ex same exercise that they would do in person. So you're only duplicating people are doing the same thing at the same time and what I often do as well when we have an, a, a map based tool is what I've heard during the actual workshop in person yeah. I'll import all that information on the online tool so that anyone can see what everybody's been contributing to the process so far and then we and then people can add on and sort of continue to build on that map exercise that's such best practice because doing that also allows you to do the push button reporting on the back end. Yes. You know, yes. instead of having to compile and pencil and paper your in-person stuff and then add it to the, the online space, you can just use the benefits of the reporting system to put your stuff from in-person. That's a great point. It's a huge, huge <laughs> asset. Yeah. Um, all about making life easier. Absolutely. Right? For, especially for us. Yeah, Fine. for sure. For sure. <laughs> Uh, so work in bite-sized chunks. I love that we've left the word chunks in this because it really is like pretty expressive. The worst thing I see anymore is when someone still thinks that the public's going to read a 42-page PDF oh, goodness. and tell you what they think about it. No. Right? Nobody's reading that. No. <laughs> I wouldn't read that. <laughs> no, I'm not reading it. And I'm a government geek. So, you know, what do you do instead, Sandrine? What we've done for, uh, again, several of our projects is, and, and that, I would say, that happens really much more when we have an actual document for people to review, for example. I'm just going to use that as an example, but instead of putting the link to the entire plan, which is, you know, I don't know, 100 page, 200 page, 300 page, whatever, again, and, and thinking people are going to read the whole thing, we break it down. 
-hmm. break it down for them online. I mean, I've done it various ways throughout the years, but at least, you know, each chapter should be mm -hmm. separated and sort of its own thing. And it's actually helpful for us planners in the end mm -hmm. as well, because you're asking people to comment on just a small portion of the document, which means their comment are probably going to be much more specific to that. And then you can relate the comments to a specific chapter or section, whatever of, of your document as you're going through all the comments you've been receiving, seeing if you're going to make any yeah. changes. Um, so it's making it easier for the user uh, because you're making it smaller chunks that they can do, you know, one at a time on their own time, whatever. It doesn't feel as scary and too much reading all at sure. once for them. Uh, and then it also makes it easier for the planners and for yeah. staff afterwards also to figure out, you know, what might come out of the, the comments you've received. Absolutely. One of my favorite examples and one I still go back to quite frequently is one of the first projects that I got to work a little bit on the fringe with you for in Scarborough, Maine, Scarborough Engaged. Oh. And looking at the bullet points from the in-person meetings and the short videos pulled out from the big meeting sessions, mm -hmm. uh, really huge asset and really just went really well and made it easy for people to, to gather and understand. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, so our commandment number eight is using mapping tools for spatial sake. And I think we spoke about this just a little bit just now, you know, it's sort of matching your online engagement with your in-person engagement. But if you're at the beginning of the process and, at, you know, and it's a very general conversation about just visioning and what people's hopes and futures are and all that, don't put a map tool up there. It's not that time. You're, you're not getting at that yeah. specific level. And, you know, I think I'm going to go back again to my time in Burlington where we ended up, because it was early when a lot of those online platforms that exist today didn't exist at the time. Yeah. So we actually had built our own engagement platform. And it was, it was a two component. There was a mapping tool um, that we used that was super successful. We had so awesome. many people adding comments online via that. But we also realized that there were certain comments and certain level of input that we were hoping for that just didn't translate to putting a dot on a map. Mm -hmm. um, it was more, you know, topic based. It, yeah. Had, it was specific to a, a question about dealing how, how to deal with certain issues. Mm -hmm. So we needed to make sure that we had, we, that we had both and that we were using both options at the right time in the process too. So our tool had the map component, but it also had another sort of another page that was where we broke down various topics um, and nice. just asked people to comment sort of underneath each of those, those topics. So I just, map tools are really sexy and mm -hmm. people love using them, but I would just, you know, tell people to be a little careful with them because yeah. you want to use them at the right moment during your process. It's almost like the old saying, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If you have a map, everything looks like it should be a pinpoint. Exactly. But sometimes it really should be conversation. Yeah. Well, and then people will, if a map is the only tool you have out there and it's not the right moment, you'll end up with points on your map that have very general comment. It's just not going to be helpful yeah. to you in the end. So. I'm sorry that our listeners can't see this slide because I'm kind of proud of this one. <laughs> but I like the, the moon phase. So when we talk about the ninth commandment, face the project in meaningful ways, thinking about the phases of the moon. And I guess it just makes the point that I want to make on this topic. And that is that sometimes 
we lay out the phases of a project and we get so stuck in it mm -hmm. that we are going to the quarter moon phase and the crescent no matter what, right? But sometimes we have to stop and look at how we phased out a project and really ask ourselves if it's working for the community. You know, are we really done with this phase of the conversation? Mm -hmm. Do we really, are we ready to move to the next phase? Or is there more? Do we need to go deeper? Do we need to ask follow-up questions? You know, it's, it can be really critical that we kind of lose the community if we move too fast. Um, likewise, sometimes these planning processes drag out forever. <laughs> like, where did the community go? And they checked out many moons ago, right? Absolutely. So it's finding that nice spot. Yeah, and I agree. And but you know, I'm going to say the phasing of the moon happens very chronologically. Um, yeah. Sometimes for projects, we realize that. What we thought were different phases might happen at the same time too. The keys you have to be flexible when you're d doing a planning process. I think we all know this, but and I like your point that sometimes a phase might have to be longer than yeah. what you've anticipated because you need to have more conversation and you need to slow the process down a little bit. What I think is very important from the community standpoint on the online space is to make it very clear what those phases are from the beginning of the process. So For people sure. understand that if they're jumping in and you know, they're half, you're halfway through the process, they can see that you've done all this work yeah. um, beforehand. And that's why I love using a platform that has a lot of the various tools in it that sort mm -hmm. of becomes the project of the web, the, the project website, is that all of that information from past phases is still there. Mm -hmm. So people, people can get to go back and see, oh, okay, yeah. this project kicked off six months ago, I just wasn't aware or I just you know didn't pay attention. But here's all the conversation that's happened. That was much more general. Now we're getting more specific, uh, you know, as we move into the process. So that's also, I think, very helpful to have. So when you think of a tool or a platform to use, think about that as well. That's super important. You bet. That's great. And if you do change the phases, just be sure that's super clear and how you're going to use the data as you mm -hmm. go from one to the other. Yeah. Right. And asking, I think we've said that, but asking the right questions at the right moment in the process mm -hmm. too. So that's something you have to think about at the beginning, you know, early on and trying to figure out what your messaging is and what you're trying to get out of each phase of the process. For sure. So that brings us to number 10. Woo, last one. Close the feedback loop. Yes. I also love this one. And that's something I've been talking about for so long. Again, since my Burlington days, I keep going back to Burlington. But, and that's all about putting out there information about what you've heard yeah. from the community so far. Because too often, um, and I've seen this in so many projects, we as planners engage the community, right? So we hear everything. Mm -hmm. We the consulting team or we the staff but folks in the community haven't heard everything we've been here 100 percent. and so sometimes people don't feel as though they've been heard mm -hmm. because you know their ideas might not end up in the process in the plan or whatever uh, but they also need to know that perhaps their idea hasn't been included because people didn't think, or the majority of people didn't think the same way that they did. Yeah. So we always make sure that we, especially in the online space, because I think it's the best place to do it, always put information up there about what you've heard at each yeah. phase of the process. So people can go back and they can read 
everything that we as staff, we as planners are hearing. So that's closing the feedback loop. And then you can also have more conversation and it allows you to continue that sort of circular motion of conversation as you move through the process and just, you know, getting feedback on what you've been hearing, on what you've been hearing. I think it helps and it really sort of helps mature the, the conversation and nurture it too. Awesome. That's such a, a complete kind of analysis of the feedback loop. And the only thing I'd really contribute add to that is even the baby steps along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, EHQ has a lot of sort of built-in ability to help you with steps in the feedback loop. Just saying thank you. True. You know, it's amazing how many times, even in person or in the online space, we forget just to say, hey, thank you. So choose tools that make it easy to say thank you, you know, as a very minimum step. But mm-hmm. couldn't agree more with everything you've said about validating people, making sure they feel heard, mm-hmm. and then they're able to kind of move on and imagine what else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For sure. So the bonus, the golden rule. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Go for it, Amanda. Keep it simple. So after all of this, we kind of end up at keep it simple, right? I mean, you want things to be accessible. You want things to be full of rich media and easy to grasp, but you also don't want to have people have to read pages of directions about how to engage in your process. Yeah. And I think that also goes to, you don't want to have 10 different tools at the same time that you've deployed. People will get overwhelmed very quickly. And then they're just going to say, forget it. I'm not going to do this. Right. So I think that goes to that as well. I love that golden rule. That's definitely my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, I think about surveys. Oh Who wants gosh. to take a five page survey? Nobody. Nobody. I don't. But if you ask me a few key questions and I'm able to engage with you pretty quickly, I'm happy to answer yes. this, you know, keep it simple. I agree. Sandrine, this has been a pleasure. I really appreciate your time and your willingness to share with everyone. And I really hope that these tips, these commandments and the golden rule are pretty useful for our listeners. I think they will be. I hope so too. Thank you so much, Amanda. It's been great. Thank you for tuning in to Bang the Table Talks. Join us for future conversations as we explore the capacity and insight that online engagement has to offer. Check out our other learning resources at bangthetable.com.